If you have ever studied any great revivals, especially in New England, they all started with a common theme, prayer. So if prayer was the catalyst for revival, what does prayer do? Well, for those of you who might be watching for the first time or in the room, don't know who I am. My name is Mark Warren, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Capital Church, and we are here to help you get ready to meet Jesus face-to-face, because there will be a day that you will have that opportunity to meet Jesus face-to-face. Well, the first Great Awakening took place in 1730s and uh, the 30s and 40s, and it was birthed in England and then found its way over to the 13 colonies. New England was a part of them. And uh, I just wanted to let you know that that first revival, there's something in our soils here in New England and New Hampshire that is uh, getting ready to be rebirthed. But it was uh, characterized by a great fervor and emotional prayer. Now, I am, you could tell I'm an emotional person, but I don't always feel comfortable around a lot of, of ecstatic emotion. But at that moment, they, they made a shift, a dramatic shift into ecstatic prayer. This, out of this movement, you had the Wesley brothers, you had George Whitfield, um, uh, where they were instrumental in this move. Then you take the 1790s into the 1830s, the second great awakening in New England. But the interesting thing about this one is started in little New England towns as prayer meetings started taking place in people's homes. This is where camp meetings got started. But the result of this movement was temperance. In my town, there was a tavern called Temperance Tavern. (laughs) Go figure. That that seems like an oxymoron a little bit. Temperance Tavern. Um, But it was really focused on soul winning. And many colleges and mission societies were birthed out of this second great awakening. Notable names would be James McCready, Barton Stone, and Charles Finney were people of that era. Then the third great awakening, 1850s to, yeah, probably 1857 to 1858. The third great awakening is known as the revival or awakening of the prayer revival or the businessman's revival, as it was known. You see, religious life in America had declined. It was a time of prosperity, and people were seeking riches rather than God, and the churches were losing people, and worldliness was creeping in. But there was a number of Christians who were concerned about this materialism and this move away from God. And what they did is they started gathering in prayer movements to pray for their nation, to pray for the hearts and souls of people. And they began these concerts of prayer. And we know what took place. Businessmen started meeting um, in churches at their lunch hour to pray. Many many businessmen in, in Boston were gathering together at South Church to call upon the Lord, and the great revival took place. So what does prayer do? If, if history shows us anything, that great revivals are started by prayer, what, is, what does prayer do? And that's what we're going to answer today. Uh, 
to kind of illustrate this, when I was in college, I started dating Audra. Now, I know she doesn't look like it, but she is two years older than me. When I was a sophomore, I came into uh, Houghton College as a sophomore, and she was a senior, and she was playing volleyball, I was playing soccer, and I, I saw her, and I said, who is that girl? I want to get to know her. Well, long story short, we started dating, but because she was two years older, she graduated before I did, and she was working a distance away. Uh, Houghton College is in Houghton, New York, and she was working in Buffalo, New York, and um, some Buffalo fans here. Yes, there we go. And uh, the way we would connect, I know for you younger generation, you don't know what this is, but by a payphone. <laughs> Payphones, we know it. They're gone. But back in the day, I had one in my, actually the housing unit I was staying in. There's a payphone and we would connect. But I got to know so much about Audra by those phone conversations. Her hopes, her dreams, um, her likes, her dislikes. But it was in that moment that I really got to know who she was, even though we weren't physically connected. But we were communicating. You see, I knew who Audra was by her voice, and by the time we spent together. And, and that illustrates the, really the essence of prayer. Because prayer, even though we don't see God, we can communicate and this, have this dialogue with him. And that is really God's design for prayer. God's design is to build this relationship with his creation. To be in, in, uh, in relationship in a personable way. In Psalm 65, verse 2, it says, oh, oh, you, God, now this is the psalmist, this is the psalm of David, you, God, who hear our prayers, is how he starts that psalm, Psalm 65. But then in verse 5, it says, you answer us with righteousness. So you already begin to start seeing this dialogue that takes place. The psalmist, King David, says, you, O oh God, who hear our prayer." So first of all, God hears us. This is not, we pray to these words to go somewhere in the atmosphere and then we don't know where they go. But he's saying, you, oh God, who hear our prayers. So God hears our prayers, but he doesn't go hear these prayers and then doesn't respond. He responds to us based on his loving goodness and kindness. Isaiah 65 says this, before they call, I will answer. Isn't that interesting? Before we even actually talk to God, he answers us. So he sees us. Isn't it nice to be seen by God? Isn't it nice to know that he sees us? And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. So this idea that he's seeing us, and while we're talking to him, he hears us, he's attentive to us. But the question is, so if God answers even before we ask, what is the point of asking, right? <laughs> Have you thought of that before? Like God sees everything, he knows everything. So what is the point of actually talking to God? Well, it's because it's about knowing the heart of God, hearing his voice, appreciating and growing in a loving relationship with our Father in heaven. 
right? If God just wanted to just kind of be like the rub the genie, we ask wishes and then he gives us every, you know, command that we give him. Or if it's the other way of like, hey, I'm just going to look after you and there's no relationship here. No, he's designed us to be in relationship. And that happens through communication called prayer. So the disciples were a little bit confused about what prayer all was. And Jesus tells him, tells their disciples in Matthew 6 how to pray. We call this the Lord's Prayer. And it starts by saying, our Father, and and I'm just going to break this prayer down real quick in real basic ways. And this is not really deep theologically, but just helps put a context. Because I don't think God intended us to have this deep theology by the way, theology is really the, the study of God or the understanding of who God is. But he doesn't want us to have this deep head knowledge. He wants us to have this deep understanding of who God is by a relationship with him. Now, I want you to be in God's word because you begin to understand who God is by being in his word. You begin to train to hear his voice by understanding how it lines up with the scripture. But he does want us to be in a prayerful relationship with him. And so Jesus taught us to pray and he says, our father, which speaks to the relationship. We are his sons and daughters, right? And he's a good father. If you've had a bad father relationship, don't put that on God. <laughs> and, and, and I know it's gonna be a struggle to understand what it is to have a good fatherly relationship. But those who've had good father relationships understand what a father is and what a father means. Our Father in heaven is the place where God resides. So in other words, his spirit resides in us and is with us. Jesus sits on the right hand of the Father. Jesus was our model, right? He's our savior, but Jesus now sits in heaven with our Father. But the spirit of God dwells inside of us as a Christian and and manifests itself like we felt the Holy Spirit today here, didn't we? We felt his presence with us. But our Father who's in heaven, holy or hallowed be your name. And that's the nature of his being. God's a holy God. And this is why we need a Savior. This is why we need Jesus is because to be in relationship with him, for us to come close to him, we needed the, the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus to make that possible. That's why Jesus is so important. He is our Savior. But he is the one that gives us access to our Father. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I love this line. Because this gives us the purpose of prayer. Your kingdom, God, your kingdom, or Jesus, your kingdom. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning that the very nature, the very thing that is in heaven... God's desire is that it's manifested here on earth. Joy, peace, kindness, forgiveness, freedom. And prayer aligns us to the heart of God. So when we pray this, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we can't just stop there. We have to say, God, what are you wanting to manifest on earth in my life, in my surrounding, my home, my workplace, that looks like what's in heaven? 
So when you're praying that prayer, you need to understand that he wants to manifest that here on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. God is our provider. And I think that's why when we give of our tithes and offerings, when we are generous, we, that is an acknowledgement. Honestly, I think that's why God instituted the tithe. It's, it's, a, it's an acknowledgement that everything that we have, God, you have given us, and we give a portion back. We trust you. You are our provider. Forgive us for the things we've done wrong and forgive others who have wronged us. I'm kind of paraphrasing there. But, but really this understands that, God, you, you have forgiven us and, and I keep having, having to come to a place of forgiveness. That's repentance, right? Repentance is saying, acknowledging where we have come short. But then we forgive others who have wronged us, which really is the heart of God, which is, is love. And so we want to keep short accounts. We don't want to hold on to these grudges and these, and these hold on to this junk that creates bitterness. We want to say, forgive me, God. So I want to be free. And then I forgive others and keep relationships free. Help us not to be tempted. Right? Lead us not into temptation. Help us not to be tempted. Reveals the nature of the condition of our heart. And, and I'll tell you, our heart always wants to stray away from God. And wants to do the things that are opposing to God. And that's the trick of the enemy. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And this is a little bit of what I'm going to talk about of of this dream that this four-year-old had. We have an enemy. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And so we have to understand he goes after the weaknesses of our heart, our flesh, our our desires. And he tries to, to tempt us. And so he's saying, deliver us from that temptation. In other words, keep short accounts with your own heart too. Know your tendency to maybe wander off and then deliver us from the evil one, right? We, we have an enemy who wants to kill, steal, destroy. We talked about that. So to answer the question about what praying does, you're going to see this on your screen. This is what praying does. Prayer fosters a relationship with God, aligns our hearts and minds to his purposes, and redirects our lives as he shows us the trap of the enemy. That's what prayer does in the simplest form. Fosters a relationship with God, aligns our hearts and minds to his purposes. Right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven redirects our lives to show us the traps of the enemy. I think it's important that we understand that we do have that enemy and we have to be mindful of of what the enemy is trying to do to set us up. So why does prayer precede revival? Why does prayer precede revival? Revival happens when a group of people start to repent, intercede, do spiritual battle, and we're going to be starting to talk about those prayer points in the next future weeks, we're going to talk about what intercession is. We're going to talk about uh, warfare prayer. What does that mean? Putting God's ways and purposes above our own. This is how revival happens. Group of people start to repent, intercede, spiritual battle, do spiritual battle, put God's ways and purposes above our own, and contends for the souls of people that are distant from God. Great revivals begin when people put their attention on God and then seize the needs 
of people around us. And they see the spiritual dryness or lack in their life and in our own lives. Revival starts with prayer because revival is about reviving our hearts. See, revival is not about, hey, um, big meetings and people being slain in the spirit and uh, crusades and whatever, whatever uh, that you might think revival is. Now, if God chooses to manifest in those ways, so be it. That's up to God. But revival at its core is when people's hearts are revived to be in love with Jesus and care about the lost souls of everybody around them. And prayer simply does this. It aligns our hearts with God's heart. That is why prayer spurs on revival because it starts to say, God, what do you see? What's on your heart? What is breaking your heart? And we begin to pray into those things. And as we pray, then we actually act. See, revival comes when people pray. Psalm 143 verse 10 says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. I I love that. I think that's like a, that's a revivalist's prayer right there. Teach me to do your will, God, for you are my father. You are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. Sounds a lot like the Lord's prayer. I'm going to close with this verse and then I'm going to tell you about this dream of this four-year-old. Jeremiah 33 verse 3 says this call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known God says this prophetically through Jeremiah call to me in other words pray and I will answer For some of you right now, you have questioned whether or not God hears your prayers and I want to tell you he does. Call to me and I will answer you. But here's the other interesting thing. Sometimes the answer is not what we're wanting. And instead, he tells us great and hidden things that we have not known. And I guarantee you the things that he tells us are the things that are better than what we conjured up in our own minds. So speaking about great and hidden things that we have not known, I want to tell you about a dream that a four-year-old had a few weeks ago. And it was confirmed by the mother who had already been thinking about um, these things and probably put some layers of context on it, but the dream was about three snakes. The first snake was a spitting snake, blinding the eyes of everybody that it spit into. The second snake was a rattlesnake. You know the rattle of the tail that goes. The third snake was a cobra. And anybody who knows a cobra, they see the massive, massive 
snakes that would probably put terror in anybody that you came upon it. How many people are afraid of snakes here? How many people love snakes? <laughs> Some of you. <laughs> Let me tell you what these three snakes mean. And the, this, is the, this is the warning that I believe that God was speaking to us through a dream of a four-year-old. The spitting snake represents deception. When we're blinded, we can't see. And by the way, these snakes are all represented by Satan. Satan's tactic in this season, and this is a timely word for us, is he is spitting into the eyes of people to create deception. And why we need to spend more time in prayer to have God reveal his heart and his mind. Otherwise, we are going to be deceived. The second snake is a rattlesnake. That represents distraction, right? If you're in the woods and if you're up in Colorado and you hear a rattler, your, your attention goes to the rattle. But that distraction, is, if it's not of God, and probably here it's not of God, it's a snake. It's actually a ploy, a decoy, a distraction then to get our eyes and attention off of what God is doing. That's why we need to pray. And thirdly, the cobra. This massive snake causes fear. And when there's fear, you can just imagine all of a sudden a big cobra drops from the ceiling right here and is slithering on the stage. What would it do? People would scream, go, ah, someone would run out the door, whatever. Chaos would ensue, right? That, that's what fear does and, and, and stirs chaos. And that's what the enemy is wanting to do in this season, creating fear and chaos. We need to be aware, this is God's warning to us, that the enemy's tactic in this season is the three snakes of deception, distraction, and fear and chaos. So beware. But it goes to say, then how do we combat the enemy? Okay, we know his tactics, but how do we combat it is we, we go into a season of prayer. It's a time to pray. It's a time to pray individually. It's a time to pray corporately. It's a time to pray in our homes. It's a time to pray in our workplaces. It's a time for us to have our spiritual eyes opened. Pray when we wake. Pray when we lie down. It's a time to be aware. So revival comes when people pray. But because I'm already beginning to see this earnest desire to prayer, it, it makes me believe that revival is around the corner. And people's hearts are going to be revived, that people are going to come to Christ. But why? Because people begin to pray and have God's heart for other people to know Jesus. And when we pray, we begin to start saying, hey God, the way that I've been living my life is not the way that, that you've intended it. And there's repentance when we pray. And lastly, in closing, I want to read this scripture. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between you, meaning Satan, and the woman, meaning the bride of Christ, and between your or Satan's descendants and her descendants, the bride of Christ's descendants, 
or meaning Jesus' descendants. He, Jesus, will crush Satan's head. And you, Satan, will be bruised by Jesus' heel. Let me just read before, as it says in, in, the, in the Old Testament, and then I'm going to kind of paraphrase it. And I will put enmity, enmity between, or this, this hatred between you and the woman, and between your descendants and her descendants, and he will crush your head, and you, Satan, will bruise his heel. I want to let you know that this is foreshadowing of the time that we are in today. This was written over 4,000 years ago. Genesis. That, that Jesus Christ has the ultimate authority and he is going to crush Satan's head. But it will leave a mark on Jesus' heel. It will bruise his heel. But guess what bruises do? They heal up. But a striking blow, crushing a skull, is final. See, this is what the final fate is for our enemy. But for us to get there, we need to come into alignment to what Jesus is doing and what the Spirit is doing, and that comes through prayer. So I want to invite you to a season of prayer as we are going to be speaking over the next few weeks, would you say, I'm going to up my game, my prayer game. I'm going to pray more. My homes, my workplace, while I'm driving to work, when I lay down. And you're going to pray in such a way, God, I want your heart. I want to see what you see. I want to feel what you feel. And then for the month of October, we are praying every single day corporately from six to seven here at the church, every single day of the week, the whole month of October. And that will be coming out um, more details as we come, but just mark your calendar. You can be for here as many or as few times as you want. October, we're gonna be meeting in the Granite Room. But I wanted to let you know that, that even if you're watching online and you're not going to be around for corporate prayer, it's important to gather some people together and start praying together. For our home churches, thank you so much for gathering and praying together. This is the season that we need to be aware. We've had our warning of the tactic of the enemy. We have our calling to calling us to pray. We know the outcome is going to be that ultimately Jesus is going to win, but he's calling his bride together to, to be a part of this end day harvest. Would you join me in a season of prayer? Would you be ones who are known as people of prayer? And then once again, the fourth great revival would take place in New England. See God's presence change a people for his kingdom and for his righteousness. Welcome to Church Online. My name is Pastor Mark, and I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join us in watching our services online. Maybe you can't be at our location today and you're watching this from home or on the road. We just want to say thank you for tuning in. And maybe you can't get to a physical location at Grace Capital Church, then this becomes part of your regular routine to do church live on your computer or on your device. We wanna say, invite some friends with you. 
do church together. Life is so much better together and discovering what God has for us is meant to be done in community. Gather people together and enjoy these services for weeks to come. Thank you for watching.